It's all a moot point. <laughs> like a cow's opinion, just doesn't matter. It's moot. the New Points Podcast. I'm Dr. X. And I'm Sam Amid. And today we're going to be doing a quick follow-up to our podcast episode about true crime stories on TV because Sammy actually got to meet the incredible Dean Strang, who was part of the defense team for Stephen Avery, uh, featured on Making a Murderer. Mm-hmm. He was invited to my school to give kind of like a Q&A style lecture. And I was lucky enough to attend, and it was an amazing experience. To and you him. actually like met him one on one and stuff too. Well, ju- I just said hi and like took a picture with him at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't actually able to go to the lecture meetup, so I'm just kind of living vicariously through the situation. But I did hear the whole thing because Sammy taped it. Um, we don't think it's legal to share these clips, and Dean's like an okay lawyer, so <laughs> we are just going to summarize them here, but we do want to go into them because he said some really profound stuff, um, yep. so we'll, we'll summarize and discuss. Um, we're not going to go into the whole case again, so if you don't know it, check out Making a Murderer on Netflix. And it's then... only 10 hours of your life, and it's worth it. Yeah. Um, and then go listen to episode four of Moo Points, and hear us discuss true crime on TV. So, yeah, let's just jump into um, what he said. So the first thing he talked, or one of the first things he talked about after talking about his football team or whatever (laughs) was the key that they found um, in Stephen Avery's trailer. Yeah. He got asked about that. Yeah, so the documentary goes into how the key was one of the... um, state's main pieces of evidence they found Teresa Halbach's key in Stephen's trailer but the thing is this key is very suspicious for many reasons first of all they only found it on the seventh pass through the trailer and the guy who found it is also um kind of has a long-standing history with Stephen Avery um he I don't know how do you, how would you explain this well, first of all, he didn't have jurisdiction. He wasn't supposed to be there because uh, it was a conflict of interest because he was involved in his earlier case yeah. and was involved in the misdemeanor when, like, he didn't report that another police officer called and said someone else had confessed to the crime and he just kind of didn't report it. Right. So, so he, he found he, this very suspicious key. He wasn't on the supposed to be there. Pass. Yeah. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing was that. Um, it was a single key and Dean was kind of laughing that she's seen pictures of the key with Teresa and she had a lanyard of several keys. He was saying, you know, how did she manage to get into her house or like open her work office? So a single key and, um, this key that she had had the car for six years had none of her DNA on it. So, um, something that I found interesting was Dean Strang, like, explicitly said that the police planted it there. I don't think he ever explicitly said that in the documentary. He definitely, no, he definitely implied did. That was it. The, that was the case. That was their whole defense. So, I mean, um, that's what's in the transcript of the of um, that trial. I, I, know, I don't think he ever said the words, they planted it. They must have, because that was the defense, right? 
I think like, he just like presented the Okay. But yeah, I don't know. It was it was um interesting to hear. I also him. thought a good thing he said or an interesting thing he said was just because there was police misconduct doesn't prove that Stephen Avery's innocent. But it just mm-hmm. shows there was you know, he's very convinced that there was police misconduct. Right. Whatever that means. Maybe he's it, guilty, maybe maybe the police knew he was guilty. And so they planted this evidence because they couldn't find anything real. Uh, and it, it doesn't be mean he's innocent. To cause reasonable doubt, though. Right, right. Yeah. So then he talked about jury selection. Yeah, this poor guy had was going into a war against him. <laughs> like, um, the media had already been covering this case for a few weeks. He talked about how social media played a big role, and he had a hundred and thirty people called in. Um, that he got to interview, that he got to he got to pick twelve people for his jury, and at the start, a hundred and twenty nine out of a hundred and thirty said that outright they thought Stephen Avery was guilty. So he really, really did not have like any I don't know any like good start. Right. It, this honestly reminds me of To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, this guy is like the Atticus Finch of our generation, just going into a losing war, but just standing up for justice despite, like, having no shot almost. Although, honestly, from the outside, it looks like it was open and shut. But clearly, based on how he talks about jury selection and how he just had this reputation, he was so poor, everything in the press was was just 100% he's guilty. He killed this woman. He tortured this woman. Um, Just nuts. And one interesting thing he said about the jury was later there were interviews with the jury where they brought up stuff that never even came up in trial. Like the state didn't even present as part of the case, but they thought he was guilty because of it, something that was in the media. Mm -hmm. So it just shows that this was over before it even started and there was nothing he could do they were trying right. him on stuff that wasn't said in court. But something that I really admire him for, and that, like, he did not blame or have any resentment towards the jury. He kind of said, it's really hard to keep straight what goes on outside the courtroom and inside the courtroom. They have a lot of information. They have a big burden. Like, he was just very matter-of-fact, no resentment towards them, which yeah. is pretty admirable, considering such a difficult situation. Yep. So then someone asked him about um, all the blood evidence. So how, you know, there was a lack of blood evidence in some places and there was some suspicious blood in other places. Mm -hmm. So what did he say about that? Right. So um, this stuff was mainly covered in the documentary, how even though the police claimed that Teresa was, you know, her neck was slit open, stabbed in the stomach... Um, somehow there was absolutely no blood. Um, And then he kind of talked about how Stephen Avery does not give the impression of being a mastermind, you know, like, and he is not a neat guy, you know, like he has never cleaned his apartment, you know, like this just did not happen. Right. It really did not happen. And then there was blood, there was that Stephen Avery, the, I mean, the biggest problem for the defense was Stephen Avery's blood in Teresa's car, that one little line of it. Like, yeah, there was a little swatch on the dashboard or something. Yes. Um, and again, this was in the documentary, but 
um, when he was arrested for his for the sexual assault 18 years ago, they took um, a blood sample, and that blood vial had been the packaging around it had been open, and there was a hypodermic needle hole in the top of it, and he talked about how um, the way the blood was in the vial or like the um, it was clear that blood had been taken out with a hypodermic mm-hmm. needle, not put in. To me, so like, again. in a stack of just shocker after shocker after shocker, this was really just the last straw. It, it was insane. I remember when we were watching this, we were yelling at the TV. I can't believe out. he can even discuss this in a calm manner. Because Stephen yeah. Avery's blood was planted in Teresa Hallback's car. Yes. It's just... As was the key in his trailer. It's just crazy. Okay, so then um, he was asked about Brandon Dassey, and he kind mm-hmm. of springboarded on that, you know, that topic because he wasn't Brandon Dassey's lawyer, and he didn't attend Brandon Dassey's trial, but he kind of used that to talk about the, a bigger issue of, uh, you know, free, your, your uh, free constitutionally provided lawyer... Um, mm-hmm in this country. Right, so if you recall from the documentary, Brendan Dassey's original lawyer was just a complete horror. horror. <laughs> like, he left him alone in a room to be investigated. His own lawyer, like, hired an investigator which told him to confess. Yeah. It was just terrible. Yeah, we won't go into it. Listen to our other episode. We really discussed this in depth there. <laughs> right, sorry. I get caught up. <laughs> um... But anyways, yeah, Yeah. these public defense lawyers are paid very, very little. Um, Dean Strang said about $40 an hour. For court. And And $25 per hour for out of court. Right. Like, are you serious? I could be a manager at Walmart for more than that. Mm -hmm. And they don't get to just keep that 40 bucks. They have to pay for expert witnesses, for travel costs. Um, their malpractice protection, which I think this right. guy really needed. <laughs> <They're>, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's totally crazy. So you're, you're yeah. constitutionally guaranteed or promised a fair trial, but th- we are, there's, not en- there's not enough money. Taxpayer money is going into providing attorneys for people who can't afford them, which is, he, he said 80% of people charged with a crime in the U.S., can't mm-hmm. afford a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And the, another, sh- okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and, and you know, the, we're paying them $25 an hour and a, a top firm lawyer from the best firm in the world is getting $750 an hour, which explains mm-hmm. Robert Durst from the jinx. The rich right. people just get out. Like, you could literally behead someone and call it self-defense because you're paying $750 yep. for a top firm lawyer. And then you have Brendan yeah. Dassey, who is the most innocent person I've ever seen in my entire life. But he has a $25 per hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made, no, uh, Dean made some really good points there. Another thing that kind of shows how, how the odds were stacked against him that he talked about in this section of the discussion was how, um, I think it was 96% of trials end in a conviction. Yeah. That's a really huge percentage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he then was asked about um, expert witnesses. I guess this kind of goes with the last question, paying for them. 
Um, mm-hmm. Did you have anything you want to add on that that he said? Um, well, one thing he was asked about was how is it, how do you deal with an expert witness lying on the stand? Mm-hmm. Because the state hired this, a lab um, technician mm-hmm. to process the bullet that they found in Stephen Avery's garage. And the, the, this evidence could not have been more compromised. And it, it couldn't. It really couldn't. Like, she I basically the, licked it. Like, this technician's yeah. DNA, her own DNA, the lab technician's DNA, was on the frickin' bullet. And they still used it in court. Yeah. It's, it's, saying that oh, Teresa's DNA was on it. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, you really just have to keep fighting. Yeah, and Dean, Dean said you have to realize that experts are humans, too, and lab technicians are humans, too, and they mess up. Like, just totally calmly. Mm-hmm. Is that he's he's a hero. He really is. <laughs> okay, so the question we've all been waiting for. I think we submitted this question. Uh, what's, <laughs> yeah. what's happening with season two? Um, he can't confirm anything, but he did read that there might be a season two. Unfortunately, he also said that he could not imagine himself playing any role in a season two. So there's not going to be like Law and Order, Dean String, like uh, just... I wish. <laughs> Um, okay, he then talked about the judge, who we both, while we were watching the documentary, and I think we talk about this in our other episode, the judge was extremely biased. Like, he allowed Brendan Dassey's confession to count. He didn't allow them mm-hmm. to, um, provi- to provide an alternative theory of who did kill her. Like, there was a lot of stuff that it seemed like the judge was really biased towards the prosecution. Um, mm-hmm. So he got asked about that. Yeah, and again, so objectively, Dean Strang just said, this, is, this happens, um, when it comes down to it, this judge was actually better than most. Which is shocking. Yeah. Um, then, okay, this was an interesting question. He got asked, um, apparently he made a statement in, at the end of the documentary, actually, he, he did. Um, he said that he hopes that Stephen Avery is guilty, just kind of for himself. And so he got asked at this talk, you know, what does that mean? Why did you say that? Right. So, um, basically, this is kind of hard to explain, but um, it's a selfish hope, he said, um, not for Stephen's family or for Stephen, but um, if you're sentenced to life in prison, that's just such a terrible thing to deal with let alone if you're innocent, it's just so much worse. Right. Um, and I don't know, from what I took from it, the way he said it, just like, how can somebody deal with knowing they're innocent being sentenced to life for prison? He, he kind of said it like, maybe, he kind of just, in the back of his head, hopes maybe the jury got it right, maybe he was wrong, and, and the jury got it right, and this is what mm-hmm. should happen, because it's the only way he can deal with knowing an innocent person has life in jail. And he says mm-hmm. he has, he's defended three people, including Stephen Avery, who are now in prison for life. Yeah. Uh, so then he got asked, um, what's happening now with the case? So um, he ha- Stephen has a new lawyer um, who Dean said was very aggressive, which is what Stephen Avery needs right now. Um, she is working on public awareness and also 
hoping, I think, hoping um, to uncover some new evidence, yep. maybe. Yep. She's just working really hard, hopefully. Really, the only crossed. hope for Stephen Avery is something new being discovered, because he's already used up all his appeals. So it has to be either new DNA or new evidence due to scientific advancement or due to this widespread public awareness because of making a murderer. Someone mm -hmm. will know something. So that's the only hope, really. Yeah. And then finally, he got asked kind of a legal question. How can the state present one timeline, one MO, one theory at Stephen Avery's trial and a completely different one for the same crime at Brendan Dassey's trial? How is yeah, that possible? So it's impossible. Like a murder can only happen one way. And the state using these two different timelines shows that they really just want to put somebody in jail and they don't care about finding the truth. He, the, um, the direct quote from him was, this should worry everyone in the room. When you present two different timelines, you're clearly not engaged in a search for the truth. You're engaged in a search for conviction. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. It is. Uh, watching this, or listening to this talk again really brought me back to the state when we were uh, watching Making a Murder, which is just like... Horror. Complete horror at how our justice system runs. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's all the questions he was asked. So just a couple, you know, questions about what it was like, you know, watching this guy and uh -huh. how the event went. So I was, okay, sorry, first of all, I was just freaking out, like, for the week ahead um, since I heard he was coming. And nobody else seemed to be as into it as I am. I was, like, I really thought making a murderer was more popular. I think it, I think it is. I think that's crazy. Yeah, I hope so. It's like. <laughs> It's a public service to, like, you need to watch It's public education. Yeah. Yeah. If everyone watched Making a Murderer, we would have stronger jury systems. That was my point for, is, you know, we, in our last episode, we were talking about, is it okay to make entertainment mm -hmm. out of, you know, a crime, something horrible? Mm -hmm. And, well, if everyone watched this, then everyone would, would realize how the prosecution works, how the state works, how investigators work, how lab technicians work, and yeah. every single jury would be better. Yep. So, okay, so what was it like meeting Dean Strang? Is he chill? Is he chill? Um, he seems very, very humble. He seems like a hard worker who's just dedicated to justice. Um, I really spoke to him very briefly. I basically just, like, went up and shook, him, shook his hand. I said, like, I admire you so much for what you did. Um... And he seemed like, he seemed thankful for the opportunity that this was getting some publicity, I think. So yeah. he seemed very matter of fact about some very serious problems. Like, why, did he, did he seem angry or frustrated or jaded at all? Because just listening to the recording, it was just, he just talked about it very calmly. And these are horrible things that are happening. Yeah, he was very calm. I didn't get the impression that he was angry or showed any hatred he was just like very disturbed that this could have happened I think but um, as he was talking he was very matter-of-fact and he did look at it very objectively like we need to learn from this but yeah overall his outlook is very admirable I think so do you feel like he gives too much credit to the state so Yes, he came at it very objectively. I would have been like, we got screwed over. 
but he was very objective. Do you think he gives too much credit to the state when he says things like um, Stephen Avery's lawsuit against the state for his um, first uh, misconviction, or what's it called? False conviction. Um, mm-hmm. Coincide That lawsuit coinciding with his arrest was a coincidence. Or the press conferences right before jury selection, that was okay. Um, do you think he's giving the state too much credit? Should he be more aggressive in attacking the state? Just a discussion. You know, I don't think he should be more aggressive because, like, the one thing that's... Um, not the one thing, but something that's amazing about him is just how, like, his ethic goes above everything else. And he... Um, he's just able to look at things as objectively as possible, and it's amazing, even though these terrible things have, ha- like, happened around him and he has to fight against them. Um, I think it strengthens his perspective. No, how do I say this? Yeah, he's just saying the truth. It strengthens your point when you're not angry and aggressive and saying, like, we got screwed over. It does strengthen your point, yeah. Yeah, I think he seeks to find the best in the situation, and if he can't find that, he It's a lesson. (laughs) Right. So... The l- listening to the recording, both the interviewer and the crowd, there was just a complete consensus of Stephen Avery's innocence. It was kind of a humorous, sarcastic tone, like, how did that work that he didn't leave any blood evidence in the trailer? Ha ha. Um, so did you think this tone was appropriate? People, the crowd was laughing frequently mm-hmm. throughout this. And like, it's weird because I love a good, you know, crab crib. There's a sale at the crab crib joke from cereal or whatever. <laughs> but like, to me, the... The, like, funny things seemed wildly inappropriate for this particular I case. Yeah, I agree. I was actually getting a little frustrated with the crowd for laughing at points that should have been taken seriously. You know, he was talking about, like, serious, serious fa- failures in our justice system, and people were laughing. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it was I almost was just like, the, like, it's so bad, it's funny, but... It's just, but it's real. But it's real. Like this is, yeah. this is dead serious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think that the crowd did laugh at inappropriate times. And you do see a ton of jokes on the internet about this and and serial too. But I actually there is yeah there is a huge difference I think mm-hmm. um, between the two in that you know serial is a borderline case and this is. I just c- clear black and white, you know, miscarriage of justice. But anyway, right. yeah. So is there anything else you want to say about this? Any big takeaways or uh, anything? What, do you think there was anything he didn't cover that he should have covered? I think that he should have stressed that, like, people need to know the misjustice that occurred here. Like, this needs to become public knowledge. You know, like our justice system is flawed and people need to be informed about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. And we, we also learned that he wrote a book and that he's releasing another one in two years. So we're definitely going to read that. Yeah, totally. And he also talked a little bit about Jerry, who we also love. I don't know why Jerry isn't as popular as Dean. I don't either, but <laughs> yeah, they're both great. <laughs> they are both great. They're buddies. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it was a really, really good interview. We wish we could share it with you, but we don't think that's legal. So yeah, I hope you enjoy uh, hearing what 
we learned from it. Yeah. All right, see you guys next time. Yeah, see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Move Points Podcast. You can find us on Twitter. We are at MovePointsPod. Or send us an email at MovePointsPodcast at gmail.com. Our Tumblr page is MovePointsPodcast.tumblr.com. And we'd love to hear from you about new ideas, questions, or any feedback you may have. Thanks for listening.